good to see you this morning. Trust you've been encouraged by the songs and the worship that we have sung unto the Lord. I want to begin by this morning by asking you a question. So you came to Rock Valley Bible Church this morning. What sort of preparations did you do? Now, I'm not asking about the, the mundane things like, right, how many kids do you have to wake up? What were their names? Or how many diapers do you have to change? Or how much breakfast did you have to prepare to serve? Or what you had for breakfast? Or your route to get here? No, I'm, I'm asking you about your spiritual preparations. Did you pray before coming here this morning? Maybe you read your Bible. Maybe you reviewed your fighter verses. So we did in the car on the way. Here, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Mm, can't remember. Let love be with. Let love one another, brotherly love, and outdo one another in honor. We, we reviewed that just kind of thinking about how important love is. Maybe you sang some hymns on the way to church. I know we've done that before in the past. Maybe um, you listen to praise music in your way. And maybe you gave testimonies of the goodness of God on the way. But what did you do? I just, just want you to think what sort of preparations did you make? And, and that's just maybe corporately in the car, but you can also do that individually as well. Maybe you've never even thought about these things. I mean, maybe for you, you just kind of come to church and like it's the, the thing that you do. You merely just show up to church each week. You don't even think about uh, what preparations might have to do with it. Well, I remember a, a pastor talking about this very thing, about preparing for worship. And uh, this is an old Bible I had when I was going to Grace Church of Page, and God really changed my life there. Um, in the back, I typed up this little thing called a pre-church checklist. It was uh, just something kind of thrown out there, which you know, very few probably remembered, but... Here's, here's a checklist you might think about. Is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Number two, have I meditated on Scripture to direct my focus to God? Or number three, am I purposing to worship God with my whole heart? Four, have I asked God to direct me as I worship Him in my giving? Am I prepared to hear God's Word and obey it? These are five real good questions. And in fact, uh, if you missed those or couldn't write them down on your, your sermon notes here, I, I pass out. These are on the back table. And if you didn't get one on your way in or you take notes someplace else, I, you can just write on the back here. There's a little pre-church checklist. I just included that for you. I can include it in the weekly Word this week, so if you want it. But but just want you to start thinking about preparing for church. It's not just something we just show up to. I mean, if you go golfing the night before, you're maybe setting out your clubs or you're, you're cleaning things. You're making sure you got enough balls, making sure you got enough tees, making sure everything's cleaned and, and so off you go. Or if you're going to you know, do some other thing, there's some preparation that's required. I'd say also just with uh, church and coming to church, I would encourage you to consider that there's some preparations that should be involved. Now, for years, I would review all these questions in the back of my Bible. Um, so I came to church seeking to prepare my heart. 
Uh, they've almost become second nature to me. These types of things. Right? Am I ready? Is my, is my heart right? Am I, am I seeking the Lord with everything that I have? Do you have any sort of routine like this? Or is your routine basically to get out of bed and come unprepared? Well, this morning we're going to begin a new series. Um, this morning, which will help us think about this whole idea of preparing for worship. And it's over the, the next 15 weeks that I preach... I plan to look at the Psalms of Ascent, or you might say them the Songs of Ascents. This morning we're going to look at Psalm 122. If you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles there to Psalm 122. And I want you to look there and notice at the beginning of the psalm, in the superscription, it says, A Song of Ascents of David. Now, that's one of the 15 Psalms of Ascent. They, they begin there in Psalm 120 where it says a song of ascents. Psalm 121 says a song of ascents. As does 122 and 123 and 124 and 125. All the way up through Psalm 134. Every single one of them has this, this line called the song of ascents. Four of them are written by David. As Psalm 122 is. Psalm 124 Psalm 131 and 133, written by David. Psalm 127 is written by Solomon. The other ten are anonymous. But these have been gathered together in our Psalms, all together the songs of ascent. Now, a good question is, what is a song of ascent? It's a good question to ask. This word ascent only occurs here in the whole Old Testament. So it's not like we can go someplace and say, oh, here's, here's the ascent, here's what it is. But don't despair because the very common Hebrew word, Allah, which means just kind of to lift up or going up, that word occurs some 800 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. And there's no doubt about that meaning. It means to, to go up, it means to ascend or to rise. So the most literal way to translate these are a song of going up. What these psalms are, they're, they're psalms of going up. The King James translation, Song of Degrees, is a poor translation of this term. It's really a song of, of going up. Now, there are many thoughts about what this means. There is some speculation, and, and people have ranged from John Calvin believed that, that this meant that it, these songs should be sung in the high tune. Okay? Um, I don't think that's right, because when you have a hymnal, you don't put all your high tunes all together in one. You, you mix them up thematically. That's not right. Others have said that these are songs which move onwards toward a climax, building on one another. Um, there may be some degree of that, but probably not what it's talking about. Others say they're a, a pilgrim psalm from the exile. Uh, some even say that these are the songs sung by the, the priests as they ascended the 15 steps into the court of men, from the court of women to the court of men. I think that's difficult because that would take a long time to walk those 15 steps. But that's what some people say. I think the best, and what most commentators say today, is that these were the traveling songs that Israel sang as they went up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord three times each year. In fact, I would say it this way, that these are the psalms that help prepare the hearts of the Israelites to come into the temple and worship the Lord. Hold your finger here in uh, Psalm 122. I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter 23. We see here the, the divine command to go up to Jerusalem uh, three times a year. 
Exodus chapter 23, verse 14. Begins says, three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. It's three times a feast to me. You shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's the first one. For seven days you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Right? Bring your sacrifice. In other words, bring to offer to God. So, uh, Exodus 23, verse 16. And also you shall observe the Feast of the Harvest of the first fruits of your labors which you sow in the field. And also the Feast of Ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in the fruit of the labors of the field. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. So right here, Exodus 23, right after God established the law. He's establishing it in Exodus 20 with the Ten Commandments. And then Moses goes up for a little bit more, 21, Exodus 21 through 23 or 24. Just kind of giving more lines. Right here at the beginning, God is saying it's important for all the men, all the males, to come up and appear before me three times. A similar command is given in Deuteronomy 16, 16. But there Moses adds one phrase, in the place which God chooses. Long before the tabernacle set in Jerusalem, and God said, that's the place where I will dwell forever. He just says, wherever the place I will choose. And basically, the people of Israel followed the tabernacle around, wherever the tabernacle was. That's where they came up three times a year to celebrate these feasts. In Moses' day, it, it wandered in the wilderness. It was a day when it was in Shiloh, when men would go there to worship. But when David became the king and brought the Ark of the Covenant onto Mar- Moriah, it was Jerusalem for the time being. Three times a year, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's Passover. The Feast of the Harvest, that's Pentecost. For the Feast of Booths, for the Feast of Ingathering, that is the Feast of Booths. These three And we have biblical examples of of pilgrims coming to those feasts. Luke chapter 2, remember the story about Jesus when he went down with his family? I read from Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover in obedience to Exodus 23. And when Jesus became 12, he went up there according to the custom of the feast. You remember how Jesus was, was left, remained behind in Jerusalem? And do you remember then how it took their their parents, his parents traveled a whole day up to Nazareth, and then they said, where's Jesus? And then they had to travel a whole day back down to find him in the temple. That kind of gives you an idea of the size of the caravan that just people went when they moved. It was not safe to travel alone in those days. They traveled in big caravans. They'd make three big trips every year down to Jerusalem. And it's highly likely that these songs, the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 through 134, were sang by the pilgrims, if they went down, as they prepared their heart for worship. Another biblical example comes in John chapter 7. It's the Feast of Booze. We read there that the brothers of Jesus went up to Jerusalem to the feast. And Jesus also went to the feast, but he did secretly because the Jews were trying to kill him. But there again, you see another feast where they were going up to celebrate. And another biblical example is just what Phil read for us in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost. Maybe you remember... Some of those words that Phil was reading and struggling over a little bit, right? They're because people are coming from other nations, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and all the districts of Libya and Cyrene and from Rome. All these people from all around came to worship at Pentecost. Why is that? Exodus 23 says you need to come, these three feasts. And they came there. 
the Feast of the Harvest of Pentecost. And I do believe that many of the pilgrims sang these songs. From Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. These are the songs of ascent. Now, so you got to say, so what's ascent got to do with it? Well, here's what it has to do with it. Wherever you come from, you go up to Jerusalem. In fact, even in John chapter 7, the brothers of Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You, you go up. Jerusalem is a, was on a mountain about 3,800 feet above sea level. And so I don't care if you came from the north or the south or the east or the west. You always came up to Jerusalem as it was in the mountains. North wasn't up. South wasn't up. It was up into Jerusalem. The songs of ascent are the songs of going up. And I do believe as these were the inspired hymn, hymnal uh, of Israel that it has some things to teach us about preparing for worship each Sunday morning. So I invite you to turn back to Psalm 122. I bet you're wondering, so Steve, why are you starting with Psalm 122 rather than Psalm 120? Any of you have that question at all in your mind? I know some of you smart people have that question in your mind. Well, let me answer that question. Is because of the special nature of Psalm 122. Of, of all the songs of ascent, Psalm 122 really describes what's taking place in terms of traveling up to Jerusalem. In fact, in some regards, this is the Psalm of Ascent. It's my message title this morning. The Song of Ascents. In verse 1, even you see the call to go to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's the call to go worship. Where's the house of the Lord? Where's the temple? It's in Jerusalem. It's the call to go to Jerusalem to worship. And we see even from verse 2 that, that David says, I'm there. My feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. I'm there in Jerusalem. I'm there at the house of God. And then in verse 4, we see God's command for all the tribes to go up to Jerusalem to give thanks to the Lord. Exodus 23, Deuteronomy 16, right? To which Jerusalem the tribes go up, even tribes of the Lord, all the tribes of Israel, the twelve tribes, Reuben, Simeon, Gideon, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. They all went up to Jerusalem. It was like a huge family gathering. It was you with all of your cousins and everybody you knew. They all went up to which all the tribes of the Lord went up. And what did they do? They gave thanks to the name of the Lord. That's what verse 4 says. To give thanks to the name of the Lord according to the ordinance, all the tribes go up. In fact, it's from this very verse, verse 4, that I've derived a name for a series. It's entitled Going Up. Now, some of you saw this in the Weekly Word. If you want to put that up there, Chuck, can we do that? There it is, Going Up. And uh, that's going to be up there for the duration as we preach through these 15 psalms. Just to remember, we're going up to worship the Lord. That's courtesy of SR. I think he did a great job. Appreciative of that. And so, I feel like the best place to start, the Songs of Ascent, is right here in Psalm 122 because... The Psalms were Israel's hymn book. And when we sing hymns, right, we, we bounce around. We don't sing, okay, hymn number one this week and hymn number two next week and hymn number three, four, and five the next week and hymn number six. We don't go through the hymnals like that, right? We, we sing this one and then we bounce around and we sing this one and then we sing this one and then we sing this one. And so that's a little bit of what we're going to do, the songs of ascents. And we're going to start here in Psalm 122. But there are two songs that have to do with family. 
Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. So what I figured is Mother's Day is coming up here pretty soon and Father's Day is coming up pretty soon. So I'm just going to preach Psalm 127 on Mother's Day. I'm going to preach Psalm 128 a month later on Father's Day. So we'll be splitting them. Otherwise, I'm going to try to kind of go straight through, but we're going to, we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. Um, is what we're going to do. So now, before we actually get into Psalm 122, I want us to consider the structure of all the Psalms. Um, because there is somewhat of a structure. There are some major themes in all the Psalms. And, and I think it will, will do us well, even as we think of all of them. And, and I know for me and, and our family, th- these Psalms have been precious oh, for 15 years probably in our hearts as we have thought about them and wrote songs about them and sung them with our kids. And so this sermon series really has been about 15 years in the making. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to be here. So let's just think about the progression of the Psalms, all right? Uh, because they do progress. In Psalm 120, we see the people of God in a faraway place. We see them in trouble. It starts off, In my trouble I cried to the Lord and He answered me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Sharp arrows of the warriors. What shall be done to you and what more shall be given to you? You deceitful tongue, sharp arrows of a warrior with the burning coals of the broom tree. And then he laments, says, Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshech. That's up in modern day Turkey. For I dwell among the tents of Kedor, that's down in Arabia, far from God. Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshach. I dwell among the tents of Keter. Too long has my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace. I'm for peace, but they are for war. And you get the idea there in Psalm 120 that there's just a life in shambles. That things aren't going well for the psalmist. That he's far from the house of God and he's, he wants to come to the house of God. And Psalm 120 describes that, right? I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. He will guard your going out and your coming in from this day forth and forever. And so the psalmist in Psalm 121, he's, he's hiking up and he's seeing the mountains. He's seeing where God is and he's finding the promise of God that God is going to be the one to help you and to, to keep you and protect you as opposed to being far away like they were in Psalm 120. And then in Psalm 122, we're in Jerusalem. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be... Upon you, for, this, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Psalm 122, he, he's there. And so Psalm 120 through 122 has kind of taken us there. And in fact, even at the end, we see the, the saints there in the temple, right? Psalm 134, Behold, bless the Lord, all servants of the Lord who serve by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord, may the Lord bless you from Zion. Peace be upon Israel. 
And you see, he is in the temple, right? In Psalm 122, he might just be in the city, maybe not in the temple, but in Psalm 134 at the end, he is in the temple, hands raised high, lifting and praising the Lord. Also in Psalm 122, if you look there at the end, it speaks about peace, praying for the peace of Jerusalem, right? May, may, may brothers be there in peace. Psalm 133 describes that peace and how, how blessed it is to be in that peace. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Just the blessing in Psalm 133 about brothers dwelling in unity and, and the, the blessing of what it means to be worshiping the Lord in the tabernacle. So there are some structures to the songs of ascent so far. And, and then from Psalm 123 to Psalm 131, uh, Psalm 132 rather, there are really some, some themes. It, it kind of goes up and down, but I've really identified four themes in them. One is a the theme of I'd call the gospel or a theme of grace, or a theme of just whatever, confession and everything that we know of the gospel. It begins, Psalm 123 starts that, when he says, just to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are in the heavens. And then the great imagery, behold, as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of the master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of a mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until He be gracious to us. Right? Where does the help come? It just comes from God. Be gracious to us, O Lord. Be gracious to us. For we are greatly filled with contempt. Our souls are greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Just, I, I'm looking up to You. I'm in a terrible situation, but God, I know that You're the only place I can find grace. And three times there, be gracious to us, be gracious to us. We're going to keep looking to you until your grace comes. And that's the gospel, right? Keep looking to God until that grace comes. Another gospel theme comes in uh, Psalm 125, when it's just talking about the, the blessing of those who trust in the Lord. How blessed is everyone who trusts in the Lord. No, no, no. Blessed is everyone who trusts... Those who trust in the Lord are as Mount Zion which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, and we will see when we get to Psalm 125, what a wonderful picture that is. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest upon the land of the righteous, that the righteous would put forth their hand to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in heart. And there's another verse there. But as for those who turn aside from the wicked ways, the Lord will cause them to... I forget that one. Lead them away with the doers of iniquity. So in other words, right? Trust in the Lord. Peace be upon Israel, right? Trusting in the Lord. And, and there's, there's protection and there's help there. Uh, another, right? Pure gospel comes in Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. And then here it is. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word do I hope. 
I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, yes, more than the watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, here's the call. Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. And with Him is abundant redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Psalm 130. There it is, God. Listen to my cry. I'm crying from the depths. Please, Lord. And if you mark sins, none of us can stand, but there is forgiveness with you. And to all who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. That's the Gospel. That's our hope. That's why we exist as a church. And then Psalm 131, even David puts himself in a a position of humility. Here's David the king. Consider that what he says. But it's another gospel thing. Just trusting and resting upon God. To you I lift up my eyes. Um, no. My heart. Help me. My heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. Nor do I involve myself in great matters. Nor in things too difficult for me. As a weaned child rests upon his mother. So my soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, from this time forth and forever, maker of heaven and earth, something like that, I can't remember. But just a, just a pleading to the Lord to, to just say, God, uh, there's nothing in my hands I'm bringing. I'm simply leaning upon you like a baby leans upon his mother. I'm just resting and trusting. And that's, that's pure gospel light. That's the first theme. Alright, so, so Psalm 120 through 122, we've got going up to Jerusalem. And Psalm 133 and 134, we have the, the blessing of being there and the worship there. And, and then we, we see this gospel theme throughout the whole psalm, just reminding again and again in different ways, in different places, trusting the Lord, resting upon the Lord, finding your forgiveness from the Lord. Uh, there's also this family theme, as I said in Psalm 127 and 128. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be ashamed when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And I think there's some things there for women to know that you're going to labor and labor in your house and in your home and try to build your children up. But you know what? It's got to be God who comes and does it. Uh, Psalm 128, I think this is particularly for men because I think it's verse 2. It speaks about wife, right? How, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. And here it is, verse 3, I guess. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. Indeed, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. There's just a, a prayer that may you live in such a way you can see your grandchildren. Family songs. So we've seen grace as a theme. We see these two family songs tucked right in the middle. And then there's this theme about um, God's faithfulness to Israel. Um, just over the years, Israel has faced difficult times and, and hard things that they faced. And, and they're reminded of that. In the song. And how good is that to be walking along the way to, to review God's faithfulness and care for you? Like Psalm 124. There's a thing. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. 
had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. Then their anger, when their anger would have engulfed us, the streams would have swept over us. The raging streams would have swept over our soul. But blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Uh, our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the trapper. The, the snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And, and so, in other words, right? That, that if God hadn't been on our side, we'd have been sunk. But God was on our side and protected us and kept us and thus showing Himself worthy to be worshipped. Psalm 124. You also get this kind of escape faithfulness mentality about how good God has been in Psalm 126. This is talking about after the people of Israel came out of exile in Babylon. They've come back and now they're home and they're reflecting and saying, when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our hearts were filled with laughter and our tongues with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad, right? Because we're back in the land. Restore our captivity of our Lord as the streams in the south. Those who go, those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. And those who go to and fro weeping, carrying their bag of seed shall indeed come again, bringing in their sheaves with them. Just, just a joy, rejoicing with joy, bringing in their sheaves, something like that. And, and there it just speaks about how, how you go out in sorrow, but you're going to come back in joy and rejoicing, just like Israel did when they were in captivity and they came back with joy and rejoicing, like, well, those are dreaming, like pinching themselves. And also there's another reflection upon the, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the saving grace of God, His faithfulness to Israel, that's Psalm 129. And just Israel, by the way, has been a hard nation and it continues to be a hard nation, persecuted. And they said in Psalm 129, many times they have persecuted me from my youth up, let Israel now say. And then just like Psalm 124, it's repeated. Many times they have persecuted me from my youth up, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they lengthened their furrows. The Lord is righteous, He has cut into the cords of the wicked. May all those who hate Zion, be put ashamed and turned backward. May they be like grass which grows on the housetop, which withers before it grows up, with which the, the binder shall not fill, the reaper shall not fill his hand, nor the binder sheaves his bosom. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. In other words, those who have forsaken it, may God's blessing not be there because we have been persecuted so hard for us, but God, you have been our protection. So those are the things, right? We begin in Psalm 120 through 122 with, with going up. We find David in the temple. Psalm 33 and 30, 133 and 134, we find the, the blessing there and worshiping the Lord actually. We find the theme of the gospel sweeping throughout there. We find the family theme right there in the middle. We see this theme about God being faithful to Israel. And then one last theme, we see the theme of Zion. Zion is the people of God, the, the place of God, Jerusalem, Mount Moriah. There's, there's large... Um, um, how can I say this? There, there's a large affection for the land of Israel and for the land of Jerusalem in the city. In fact, we've seen that quite a few times already in the Psalms. Uh, we saw that in uh, Psalm 122. Right? Our feet are standing within Jerusalem. Right? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is really what it's about. In Psalm 125, we saw it. Um, where, where it says there about those hating Zion. 
be put to shame. Those who hate the, the place of God, may they be ashamed. We see blessings, peace be upon Israel. Right? Or Psalm 126, when the Lord brought back the captives of Zion. Right? When we, when we came back. And Psalm 129 mentions it as well. I asked us, I mean, think about how all of them end. Psalm 134, may the Lord bless you from Zion, maker of heaven and earth. There's this big emphasis upon Zion. And in Psalm 132, which is the longest of all the Psalms, it, it really focuses upon God choosing Israel as a place where he is going to dwell. And so even through these, I mean, it makes sense, right? The songs of ascents, right? We're going up to this place, Jerusalem, and we're going to show you how special this place is. And it's a place that God chose and he dwells. So Psalm 132 says, Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, all his affliction, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes, nor slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. In other words, I'm not going to sleep until I find a place where your tabernacle can sit and dwell, where we can build a temple for you. And verse 6 says, Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the field of Jaar. That's where we found it. Let us go into his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. And then the call for God, Arise, O Lord! To your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones sing for joy. Right? Go there and, and dwell there. For the sake of David, your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set on your throne. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. For the Lord, here it is, has chosen Zion. It's his resting place. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I have abundantly blessed her provision. I will satisfy her needy with food. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation and let her godly ones, her godly ones also will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to go forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. Her enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon herself, upon himself, his crown will shine. Just, just Israel and Jerusalem is a special place. It's a place where everyone ought to want to go. And these are the songs that Israel sang as they went up to worship the Lord. They've been dear to my heart. They're, they're dear because they're short. They're easy to memorize, right? Uh, Psalm 132 is a challenge. But the others, they're right there. And, and they just kind of give your heart a, a reason to, to think and dwell. And so here's, here's some good things. Here's a surprise, actually. As I read off to you that pre-church checklist. It's mostly, have I confessed my sin? Have I meditated on Scripture? Am I preparing to, to give? Um, am I directed wholeheartedly to worship the Lord? A lot of these psalms are not really directed straight towards worshiping the Lord, like, like questions that you look in your heart to say, am I ready to worship the Lord this morning? But, but here's the thing. A lot of them are thematic. And these are the kind of things I think it's helpful for us to dwell upon as we think about coming to worship the Lord. I think some, even this Zion theme about how special the place is 
in Zion. And we apply that with everything that Jerusalem was to Israel, so the church is to us. And everything of how special the church is. And we'll get into that. We, we dwell upon that. Or the grace of God in the gospel, right? We should dwell on that. Or think about the reflection of the, of the gospel, of, how, of, of the grace of God also, and just in helping us and rescuing us from past difficulties and past troubles. And the blessing He provides us with family and friends. I mean, these are, these are good things to give us a desire to come into His presence to worship Him. All right, that's the overview. So let's get into Psalm 122. And uh, we don't have a lot of time here, but I, I trust that our time will be helpful. I have two points this morning, and I think that they're just the points of David's heart as he wrote this psalm. Two statements that express his heart, and then the application to us is, do they express your heart? First of all, David says this, verses 1 through 5, I was glad to go. I was glad to go. Here he is, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Right, and you gotta see what's happening here. David is in his palace, in his temple someplace, in his house someplace. He's doing administrative work. He's working, trying to, trying to govern everything. And then he hears this voice, this knock on the door that says, David, are you in there? It's time to go to the house of the Lord. And it's the summons to call, to go. Kids, maybe you got that this morning. Hey, wake up! Wake up! We're going to church. We're going to church. And what was David's reflection? He says, at that moment, I was... I was what? I was glad. And they said to me, I was glad to go. In verse 2, we see that David is already there. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And it, it's there where he writes. He's in the gates. He's writing, reflecting back about his attitude in coming about going, and we thought of going, he was glad. So, perfect application for us, right? We're in church right now, right? We're gathered with the people of God. What was your attitude when someone said, time to go? Does it e equate here with saying, I was glad? Was that what's on your heart this morning? Does your heart resonate with David's heart? Or is your heart filled with dread? Here we go again. Got to go gather all the children. Let's go and do our religious duty. Got to put on my best face. Got to sing these songs. I don't really like singing. Got to listen to a little guy up front who's going bald. All these noogies that these kids are giving me. Got to listen to him talk for an hour. I, Got to go talk with a bunch of people I don't really like. I'd rather roll over my bed, but you know what? I have to go. It's my duty to go. Did you go because of duty? Or did you go because of delight? And, and my guess is that you're probably someplace there in the middle of that spectrum. David may be on the one extreme, utter joy entering the house of God. Ebenezer Scrooge may be on the other extreme. Bombug! Right? But went, the, uh, went regardless. And we're all probably in, in the middle someplace. But may I encourage you to do everything with your heart, to work towards having a heart that's like David, that wants to come to the house of God out of delight. Not only will it help yourself, but it will give greater glory to God. The greater delight you have in being among God's people, 
the greater glory that God has. John Piper's made this phrase popular. He said it very well, right? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, right? In other words, when we find our satisfaction in God, God is glorified. When we delight in God, God is magnified. See, God doesn't receive glory when people are forced into submission. There's no glory there when God compels someone to say great things about Him. No, God is glorified when people are so enraptured by God and so in love with Jesus that they can't help but do anything but to find their delight in Him. And the greater the joy in serving Him, the greater the glory goes to God. That's why the phrase says, right, God is most glorified in Him when we are most satisfied in Him. When your satisfaction peaks out like God is, God is everything to you, that means that God is most glorified from you. But when you come to church drudgingly or you come and do your Christian obedience begrudgingly, God doesn't get glory from that. Because God is an attractive God. God is a loving God. He's a gracious God. He, he attracts us. God is like a magnet that just brings us to Him and just attracts us to Him. And we're like, whoa, yes, yes, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. Right? He, he's not a shovel that brings us in some regard. He just attracts us. He doesn't force us. We come from delight because He attracts us by His beauty. And in terms of, one, in terms of Psalm 122, we see David delighting in God's presence. We see David delighting to be with the people of God. And, and so if I'm encouraging you to, to maximize this delight or find your delight or, or push towards delight rather than duty, um, your question might come up rightly, well, how do I do that? I want that, but how, how do I get there? Well, let's look and see how David got there. And maybe that will give us insight on how we can get there. And so David got such a delight as he reflected upon how great Jerusalem was. Look at verse 3. Jerusalem. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. It's almost like he's worshiping Jerusalem. This is a place he loves. O Jerusalem, that is built as a city that is compact together. Now, if any of you know anything about the archaeology of Jerusalem, you know what David's talking about here. The old city in Jerusalem, in the ancient world, was very small. In the ancient world, you had walls around your city for protection, and that's how big the city was. The bigger the wall, the bigger the city. And the wall around the, the old city of David was about 100 yards by 300 yards. Okay? So, uh, that was it's about six acres. That's what that is. Our church property is um, about three acres. About six acres is all the whole city was. Now, we don't know how many people were living in that city. Um, but when David numbered the people of Israel, it was many. I, I forget what the number is. It was many and the people living. They live compact together. In fact, even today, you walk through the old city of Jerusalem and you walk through these winding alleys. And it is stacked and people are there. It's not skyscraper stacked. It's stacked, whatever, two or three high. There's like people like everywhere. And I think that's a little bit like it was. Everyone wanted to get in the city in for protection. David sees this as a blessing. I think Psalm 133 bleeds out of this. The people come back together in unity. There's a, a unity there in Jerusalem during David's day, living closely in harmony. And it's in that place, and we've gone over this before, verse 4, to which the tribes go up, even tribes of the Lord, and ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. That's the whole idea of the Song of Ascents, right? The people traveled to Jerusalem to give thanks to the Lord. It's what made Jerusalem so special. It was the focal 
gathering place for the people of God. It's where God was at work. The work where the people gathered and they gathered in Jerusalem. And we see several different aspects of it here in verses 4 and 5. First of all, we see the festal gathering. Uh, this was for the feasts. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of and gathering, the Feast of Booze. I mean, this was a fun time. This is a delightful time. This is, think Christmas. Think Thanksgiving. Think Easter. Whatever. Think family gathering. Think Fourth of July. Think Memorial Day. Think, think anything like that. They're just a festive time. That's what happened when all these people came up and they had all their relatives and all their cousins and all their friends and how lovely were the feasts. It's just an attractive thing that people went to to be with the people of God. Uh, furthermore, it wasn't just social, it was also spiritual. That's the idea of giving thanks. It was a place of worship, right? Where people would bring their offerings. They would sing His praise. And they enjoyed His worship. Just all together. It's a spiritual. So it's not only festive, social, it was also spiritual, but it was also judicial as well. It was a civic place. Verse 5, For there thrones were set for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. It's a place of safety. Where justice reigned. Those who lived in the out country, it was difficult to get justice. Um, but here in the city, you get justice. In fact, one of the messages I heard as I listened to different preachers preach this passage this week was uh, a man who talked about the Wild West, what it used to be like before they became part of the United States. Right? You had Jesse James, people taking law into their own hands. And, but what happened is they became statehood and they established cities. They started establishing jails and judges and justice centers and mayors and, put that, and then the safety calmed the West. Well, so likewise here with Jerusalem, people come up there. If there was some difficult thing that they had and he decided, they would bring it up to Jerusalem. Maybe one of these feasts and get this, this uh, law thing established. But righteousness would rule there as these thrones were set there. And to David, it was a very attractive place. And so what's the application to us? Well, as Jerusalem was to David, so the church is to us. And so there are some comparisons. There are some things that don't quite compare, but we can certainly catch his heart. And I think the biggest thing here is to say, how can we have this delight that David had? Well, David delighted because he saw all that Jerusalem was. And so for us, we ought to think about everything that the church is and then see if that stirs our own affections the same way. And I think it should. So you think about the church. Think about the greatness of the church. Jesus said, Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5.25 says that Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves his church. He loves it as a bridegroom loves his bride. That's the picture. It's a marriage picture. It's why he came. He came to die for the church so he would have this pure bride to present to himself. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. He's promised to care for us and help us. He loves the church. Jesus promised, Matthew 16, 18, secondly, to build the church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. People love rooting for a winner, right? And the church is going to be a winner. The gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus will see to it. You want an institution that's going to rule and reign and win? The church is it. The church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 5.30 We are members of His body. We are somehow as a church organically connected to Jesus so that He has seen us the head and we are seen as the body. And so when the body hurts, He hurts. And He's caring for us as well like we care for our bodies. There is... That is the comparison in Ephesians 5. Just as, just as we care for our bodies, so Christ cares for His body, the church. And Jesus was also the head of the church. He's the sovereign one who rules the church. He's the Lord of the church, King of the church. He is the chief shepherd. 
He is the prince of life who rules and reigns over the church. And we have a good ruler in a church. The church is the pillar and support of the truth. God's word is taught in the church. And the word is the means for our sanctification. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus promised in the spirit of truth. And he comes, would guide you in all truth. Outside the church, there's relativism, there's confusion, but inside the church, there's truth and stability. It's where we ought to be. We want us to have a clear life, a stable life. It can be found in the church where the truth is taught. The church is where the Holy Spirit has distributed His gifts for us to use. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The, the church is where God gives people gifts so that they can use those to help and serve people. You need help? Come to church. You want to serve? Come to church. Now, it's not that Rock Valley Bible Church is the perfect place on the planet, right? We have our, our um, blemishes for sure. We're not lovely people. We're people who have been loved by God. Neither was Jerusalem. But I would say this, is that the church is the closest place to heaven on earth. It's where God dwells. It's where the Word dwells, where the truth dwells, where His people dwell. And if you want to get a taste of heaven... I say just a taste because we're, we're far less, but it's with the festal throng of the assembly of the church body. It's where God's love is shown. It's where people are edified. And, and there's, uh, there's no place you ought to desire greater than the church. And my, my hope and prayer is that we have an enjoyable place here at Rock Valley Bible Church. I, I know one of my aims, specifically, say, with the children of the church, is that they look back, you know, they get whatever, 20 years old, 25 years old, whatever. They're off on their own. They're making their own life decisions. And they look back and think about, boy, I remember it at Rockville. We had a fun time. And by that, I mean enjoyable. Okay, not fun in terms of bells and whistles and loud blasting music and this activity and that. I'm just talking about genuine love among brethren that they remember that the people of the church loved me. They cared for me. They were gracious with me. They guided me. They helped me. They taught me. And, and I felt safe there. I, I looked forward to going there. I want, and, and that that is the kids. Parents, I hope that's your attitude as well because that's what's going to help the kids. And we're trying to do everything we can so as to make Rock Valley Bible Church a place of joy. Now, there are some times where the church is not joy. And we've been through that. And things are difficult and hard. And it's awful. But it, it is how blessed... Uh, um, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And when a church dwells in unity, there's nothing better. And so I think that if that's your view of what church is, you, you will delight to come and to be among God's people in church. And you can say with David, I was glad to go. Can you say I was glad to go? If you're lacking in this delight, I'd encourage you to spend some time thinking of the glories of the church. Spend some time thinking about the uniqueness of the assembly of God's people. And let that be your stir to go. All right, little time remaining. We've got another expression of David's heart. Not only will I was glad to go, but secondly here, see, I will seek your good. I will seek your good. That's what David is saying. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. And here it is. Here I get my point. I will seek your good. Now, David was seeking the good of Jerusalem. How was he doing that? Well, he was praying for Jerusalem. Verse 7. 
He was calling others to pray for Jerusalem. Verse 6. He was longing for the peace of Jerusalem. That's the whole emphasis of all these verses. He was seeking the welfare of his brothers. He was seeking the welfare of his friends. Actively working for the good of Jerusalem. And notice also here the repetition of the word peace. David mentions it three times here in verses 6, 7, and 8. The call to pray. How to pray for Jerusalem. He said, pray for peace of Jerusalem. Also comes, verse 7, his own expression, may peace be within your walls. And when he's thinking about interaction among people, he's saying, may peace be within you. What do you think David's praying for? He's praying for peace. What do you think he longs for? He's longing for peace. In other words, David was praying that Jerusalem would live up to its name. Jerusalem. What's the word for peace in Hebrew? Shalom. That's how they greet one another. Shalom l'cha. Or shalom l'chem. Depending on whether it's singular or plural. They say shalom. They say hello, goodbye. They say shalom. That's just word. And yeru shalom. Peace. The casting of peace. That's what it means. Just right there. The, the, the peace that should be there. And he longs for the city of peace to be a place of peace. Now, when we think about peace, we, we might be too narrow. We just might think about it that means just no fighting. Right? If kids are existing and sitting together, we're like, oh, there's peace. And um, I, I think peace is bigger than that. It describes a full-orbed blessing of well-being, a, a complete being made whole, a, a contentment, a satisfaction, a good welfare. That, that's what peace means, shalom means. It, it just means a, a genuine, good, positive, helpful, help, healthy, stable life. And that's what he's praying for. May things be stable among you. And you can see that even in the parallelism, if, even if you didn't know that, right? Hebrew parallelism, one line of Hebrew poetry says one thing and the other line oftentimes says the same thing, maybe in a little bit different way, but oftentimes you can get some parallels there. So, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Here's the prayer. May they prosper who love you. Peace and prosperity are equivalent there. Or verse 7, may peace be within your walls, and there it comes again, and prosperity within your palaces. Just there is a well-being, or as the ESV translates it, well, ESV translates it, security. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers, right? Just a, a well-being, steady, unfearful life that's got everything needed. God's provided it all. And that's shalom. And that's what David was seeking. And so my question to you, is that what you are seeking for the church? Are you seeking for the good of the church? Can you say with David, I will seek your good. So it comes to church. I'm going to proactively do what I can to seek your good. Because you can build the church up or you can tear it down. And, and, and David here just wants Jerusalem built up. And I think likewise, we as a church body ought to encourage others and build the church up. Are you encouraging others? Are you serving others in the church? The Kotkis are moving this Saturday. Great chance to help and serve, right? You can help them. Talk to Carol or Carl. Are you building up the church? Are you speaking with others? Edifying words? Are you quick to volunteer? There's, there's, there's some help needed. I'm, I'm in. I'm there. Are you actively using your gifts? 
God has gifted each of us. And, and as we actively use those to serve one another, the whole body's helped. And when you don't, the body isn't built. Are you laboring to build the church? Are you making it a priority to be involved? Are you reaching out to others in the name of Christ, in the name of Rock Valley Bible Church, in the name of the church in general? And, and, and by the way, when I talk about the church, definitely it's got to be local churches, okay? And I don't think Rock Valley Bible Church is really the end-all, end-all of all churches, but that's where we are. That's our assembly here. We pray almost every week for other churches around. We're just looking for anybody who is submitting to 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 Christ, the universal church, but it, you must be involved in a local church. Beware the person who says, yes, I'm a believer in God and yet has no desire for church, has no desire for a local assembly. Problem there, because God's heart is here to work within the, the assembly of people, the, the church. Are you working to build the church? Are you giving to the church? We need to give to see the church go. Are you praying for the church? I mean, Paul here is praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Are you praying for the peace of the church on a regular basis? Maybe you want to take a, uh, some of our directories and put them in your, in your Bible so you can pray through the people in the church. So why don't you do that? You do that, pray for the church. Are you supporting leadership of the church? Because we need all the support we can get. We're weak. Amen. <laughs> amen. You want to say amen to that? Amen. Are you seeking peace within the church? Can you say with David, I will seek your good? Well, I want to close by having you all take out your hymnal. Hymn number 405. I forgot to bring a hymnal up here. I can take 400. Hymn number 405. It's written by Timothy Dwight. In fact, Ryan, why don't you come up here and music team, why don't you come up here as I finish this point. This psalm, I don't know why Timothy Dwight wrote this. He's, by the way, the grandson of the great American theologian, uh, Jonathan Edwards. I don't know why he wrote, I love thy kingdom, Lord, but I do think it captures the very heart of Psalm 122 from love and affection for God's kingdom and his church to a desire to do everything he can to seek the good of that same body. So look at how these two themes are just intertwined throughout this whole hymn. He says, and then when, I, when I'm done with this, we're going to sing it. But I trust you see both of these, both these themes. I love thy kingdom, Lord. And when you love something, your heart will be, your feet will be diligent to help that. I, I like to say, right, where the heart is willing, the feet are swift. If someone loves something, they're going to be there quickly. And if they don't love something, it's going to be harder to get there. It's harder to love the dentist. I'm not quick to go to the dentist, all right? But when you have some place you want to go, you'll love thy kingdom, the house of thine abode, the church, our blessed Redeemer saved with His own precious blood. That is the precious church. I love thy church, O God. Her walls before thee stand. Dear as the apple of thine eye, engraven on thy hand. They're just even, even speaking about just the preciousness of the church to Jesus Christ. It is his bride. It is, I mean, just, just think about men, think about your wives. Your wives are precious to you, right? That's how Jesus views the church. It says in John 13, he loved his disciples, he loved them to the end, he loved them to the uttermost so much that he gave his whole life. Died upon the cross for the church. Third, for her, and then here's where I'm going to seek her good. For her, my tears shall fall. For her, my prayers ascend. That's the heart of, of David, right? 
pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? Pray for the good. And he's just talking about for weeping and praying, I'm going to pray for the church. To her, my cares and toils be given till toils and cares shall end. I'm just going to give my life to the cares, the difficulties and the trials of the church of God, the house of God's abode. Verse 4, delight beyond my highest joy. I prize her heavenly ways, her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. There, there is fellowship there, the, the communion there, the, the, the vows one another make, the promises to pledge and love one another, the, the hymns that we sing of, of love to God and, and praise to God. These are, to him where it says, beyond my highest joy. The church is more exciting to him than the Olympics. It's more exciting to him than some basketball game, more exciting than some art gallery, more exciting than some novel, more exciting than anything. Beyond my highest joys, this is the church. I love singing praise to God in the church. Sure as thy truth shall last. Here's this Zion phrase. To Zion, right? Jerusalem, or us, the church. To Zion shall be given the brightest glories earth can yield and brighter bliss of heaven. That just says that as God's truth is going to last, God is going to bless the people of God. He's going to bless Zion. The, the glories are going to be given to the church. I think that's the thrust of Psalm 122. I trust that as we sing this, may we sing it with a, a whole heart to the Lord.